Matthew 15. Now, as you recall, last week when we uh, went through the study, uh, Jesus, interestingly enough, confronted the Pharisees. Actually, they confronted him, accusing him of violating the traditions of the elders, not washing their hands properly. Jesus said, you violated the commandments of God. He went on to talk about the fifth commandment, honor your mother and father will go well with you. You'll live long on the earth. And how they had used their traditions to negate the commandments of the law. And Jesus confronted them. And, and these Pharisees are losing control over the people because everyone's coming to Jesus in, in just droves. He's feeding thousands. He's healing uh, every imaginable disease. He's casting out demons. Uh, word of him is spreading far and wide. And as he's around Galilee and he confronts the Pharisees and he's been promising in Mark chapter 6, which coincides with Matthew 15, in Mark chapter 6, he told his disciples, we got to get away and get some rest. Every time they try to get away to get some rest, they're pressed in by a bunch of people or they're in the middle of a storm or whatever. And at this point, they need to get away. And so... Um, we pick up in Matthew chapter 15 where uh, Jesus leaves Galilee and he goes 50 miles um, north and towards the coast. Uh, let's pull up the slide if we could. Um, th this slide is not the one I'm speaking of, the other one. There we go. Is there any way to make it bigger? What happened? Okay, maybe not. Okay, uh, what happened? What'd you do? Why'd you, why'd you ruin it? This is, this is rebellion, <laughs> and I want the elders to take care of it. All right, so I, there's no way I could show you what's happening on that slide. They'll fix it right there. Okay. <laughs> Sam wasn't here first service, and um, he's a quick learner. Uh, so you, you see the Sea of Galilee right there in the center, and it looks like a harp, actually, an old harp that David would play, and that's called, why they call it Gennesaret. It looks like a harp. A harp, And uh, from the Sea of Galilee, which is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, they leave Jewish territory and they go into Phoenicia, which is all pagan. And this idea of Canaanites, Phoenicians, uh, they worship Baal. Uh, it was a dark area. And Tyre, if you see to the upper left, Tyre, and then all the way up to the top is Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are this, this territory, this region that is inundated with pagan worship. And, and Tyre was a very interesting, you can almost see a little peninsula jutting out, that little tip right there. Um, it, it used to be an island off of the coast of Phoenicia, and it was a renowned city that grew in, in the ancient world of renown. And uh, Alexander the Great conquered it by building a causeway, uh, a land bridge, to go in and conquer Tyre because it was impregnable, and he built this land bridge and then took over the city of Tyre. Well, when he built this land bridge, all of the silt from the oceans built it up, so now it's just this little peninsula. And it became famous because, uh, let's go to the next slide if we could. Um, th there's, there's the causeway that you see Alexander built from old Tyre, and it came out to the new Tyre, and when he built that, it, it silted over, and now it's a peninsula. Let's go to the next one. And these little mollusks um, were what made Tyre so famous. Uh, you would take thousands of them, and you'd have to extract them, and it would give you one drop of purple dye, a, a thousand of these. I incredible effort to try to extract this, and all of that effort would come with one drop that was so uh, incredible that the, the dye itself wouldn't dissipate. It would stay, and, and it created this color of purple that the ancient world had never known. And kings wanted it, and so purple became the color of royalty as a result of this city of Tyre. And they became very wealthy in the ancient world. And you, you know this, the idea of purple being the color of royalty. It all started on this little island. And this is the purple. It doesn't match anything I wear, so I don't wear it. Uh, but this is what would be extracted from those mollusks. Let's go to the next one. Now, um, in this town, in Tyre and Sidon, um, it, it is located... Um, in, in the, what we call the 1040 window, and I've spoken of this often, longitude and latitude. So the darker areas are the Christian world, but you see the lighter areas. This is what is called the 1040 window. This is the majority of the world where the non-Christian world exists, and it's mostly Muslim throughout this region. And so Tyre is dead center in the midst of this pagan world, and you go to the next slide, and you can see uh, the Muslim world 
the darker it is, the more Muslim it is. And, and Muslim, um, Islam is spreading in that direction. And you see right in the center of all of it is Tyre and Sidon. So this Canaanite woman that we're going to hear from this morning in our study is living right in the center of what would be considered the pagan world or that which would be the antithesis of what Christ is teaching. And, and so Jesus leaves the Israelite territory, travels to the coast to Phoenicia where Baal is worshipped. There are no Jews there. And he is sticking out like a sore thumb. And he goes there for one reason. We're going to find that in Mark chapter 7, which we'll read in a moment. He goes there to get away and find some rest. So with that being said, that's the introduction. Um, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up Matthew chapter 15, starting with verse 21. And it says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, and that idea of behold, this is Matthew saying, this is intense. Check this out. Behold, a woman from Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She invokes a Jewish term for the Messiah, a messianic term, son of David. We'll cover that momentarily. And Matthew's like, why is she using Jewish terms? Matthew, as you know, is a fallen priest. Um, now he's a, a tax collector. And so, uh, she then says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And then she says this, my daughter, and I'm, inter- I'm blown away by the adjective. My daughter is severely demon possessed. I don't know why you have to add the word severely, <laughs> right? But we'll know in a moment. And then Jesus's response, and this is a tough passage to read when you're a new Christian. Jesus's response to this woman saying, have mercy on me. My daughter severely demon possessed. Verse 23, but he answered her not a word. Talk to the hand because the face isn't listening. And you're like, whoa, sweet Jesus, what is that? And then it goes on further, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. Now, this is, this is the third time that they've said, send them away. It's like their ministry is titled, send them away ministries. Uh, we're going to see in the latter portions of 15 that there's more people that are hungry. Send them away. That's the first words out of there. Send them away. And he said, they say this about the woman. Send her away for she cries out after us. But Jesus answered and said to these disciples, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshiped him. So she falls down at his feet, worships him and says three words. And this is worshipful. There was no music, right? No music. She worshiped him. You don't need music to worship. She worships him with three words and pay attention to this. Because if you get nothing out of the message, learn these three words. They'll help you for the rest of your life. Lord, help me. Completely broken, completely sincere. Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Sweet Jesus called the woman a dog. I don't know about you, but I was troubled the first time I read it. And Jesus, and she said, after Jesus says that, she said, yes, Lord, true Lord, Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, which is an endearing term, sweet lady, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Remain standing. I'm going to read you Mark chapter 7. You can note it. Mark chapter 7, beginning verse 24. This is Mark's account, which is the account of Peter, Peter the apostle who was present at this time. Peter's account was given to John Mark. John Mark was related to Barnabas. And they traveled together. And so he writes this account down. This is Mark speaking. Mark says, from there, Jesus arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is 50 miles away from where they were a long hike. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. He's going there to hide. He he goes for rest because Mark chapter six says, we got to get away and rest. So he wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. And you go, wait, Jesus couldn't be hidden. Well, we know in John 8, he was able to hide himself. When people wanted to kill him, he was able to hide himself, walk through the crowd. Why couldn't he be hidden here? We'll cover it momentarily. For a woman, for a woman, verse 25, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. Now, not Greek Hellenist, but Syrophoenician, fully pagan no understanding of Christianity. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first. So Mark is a little nicer. He he says, let the children be filled first instead of I only came for the, the children. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. 
And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat the, the, from the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter was lying on the bed and she was in her right mind and everything was good. We'll cover it and don't worry, don't panic. Jesus isn't cruel. He's really cool. Not cruel. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and this woman, this Canaanite woman, held on to that one word and used it as a narrative to draw to your heart. And so, Lord, today, I pray that each person present in this room and in, in the hearing of my voice would yield themselves, as this woman did with those three words, Lord, help me, this worshipful attitude to just simply come to a place where they recognize that you are it, you're everything, and her heart is humbled and she yields before you. And so, God, please... By your word, speak to us today, comfort us, minister to us, and I pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. This woman in her three words was completely broken and completely genuine, completely sincere. She came to Jesus not asking for anything for herself. She didn't come and say, you don't understand. Not only is she demon-possessed, my daughter is severely demon-possessed, and I haven't had any sleep. I can't go to work. I'm exhausted. Uh, the, the, she's incorrigible. She's ah, da, 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 da. I, I, I. There's no I in this. She comes completely humble, completely broken, completely genuine, and interceding on behalf of her daughter. And, and Jesus leaves Galilee, travels to a pagan world. He's sticking out like a sore thumb. As he gets there, he goes there, as Mark pointed, to go get away. But he could not be hidden. Now, Jesus could be hidden. He could be hidden. He was hidden in the midst of the crowd that wanted to kill him. He was hidden when they came to find him. He could be hidden. But in this case, his father didn't want him hidden because Jesus is hidden from those who have an agenda. Jesus is hidden from those who want to kill him. Jesus is hidden when, the, when it's necessary to be hidden. But to be found, the father pointed out, this woman found you because I want her to find you. And Jesus, I can't be hidden. The Father desires that I minister to her. And it's the same picture that Jesus was exhausted. He had been up all night praying and interceding, and it said he had compassion on the people. God moves on us, even in our times of exhaustion, where we have compassion, even though physically we're exhausted. And in this case, he couldn't be hidden. Uh, this woman's need was brought to him by his Father, and Jesus was moved. Now, to test this, um, Jesus took the opportunity to really challenge not only the woman, but the disciples who were present. I've read this passage countless times. I've taught it countless times. And until just recently, I didn't see that it was a passage for me as a minister of the gospel. Because there's a lesson to be taught to the disciples, and I received it, and I was convicted by it. I pray it does the same for you, that it challenges you. And, and for some of you, you, you can really relate to this woman. Uh, she's a mother. She's a mother. She comes to him on behalf of her daughter. Now, she's a pagan woman in a pagan world. And she comes to the God of the universe that she's never worshipped, never acknowledged, and lived in a community that doesn't worship or acknowledge him. Now, Phoenicia was governed by King Hiram, who, as we find in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, Hiram had a political alliance with David, King David. And Hiram loved David, it says in verse 1 of 1 Kings 5. He loved him. And as a result, they, they built this union. And, and all the lumber for the temple came out of Lebanon, which is where Tyre and Sidon exist in Lebanon. And all that lumber came to build the temple. And so even though it was a pagan area, they had connection with the temple. And through that, they knew that Hiram loved David and David loved Hiram. And so this woman was influenced in some capacity by generations of connection between the two nations. And she realizes that there's one God in Israel and there's a temple there. And she's, she's aware of that. But in Tyre and Sidon, where they worship Baal, it was a very violent religion. It was a very sensual religion. So all of them were exposed to secularism and what we call heteronomy, another of the same kind, where it's, it's a bad area. It's what you call third world. They've got problems. They don't have structure. They don't have autonomy being governed by God. It's heteronomy. It's another of the same kind, and it's imploding. And you can see in that 1040 window where the majority of the world's problems are, and all these things occur. And she's in the center of that. And in the midst of that, she realizes that my daughter has been completely affected by this community, this environment. 
Now, for those of you who are present in the room who have children, in some way, shape, or form, you can relate to this. With all five of my kids, we've gone through a process of time where something gets a hold of them. And there's an influence in their life other than the word of God, other than what their parents are teaching them, other than what they're learning at church. And, and we do our best to try to shelter our children from the ideologies that would destroy them. And we want to impart to them a Christian faith that they can rely on the Lord and have this connection with the Lord. But the world works in opposition to what we're trying to accomplish. And so we go about it in different ways. We try to do this idea where we move up to a compound in Montana with canned goods and we do homeschooling and don't ever let them see anybody on the outside. And the kids are all a little like, and it gets funky. Others of us, and, and I, listen, by the way, just so that nobody could accuse us as parents, we have managed to do homeschooling, private schooling, and public schooling. So if you have an issue with me, you got a problem. <laughs> but, but Michelle and I, with our children, wanted to provide our children with entrance into the world so that they were in the world, but not of the world. And you have that dynamic where you want to have them equipped, but in the same regard, you don't want them possessed, and, and we've watched this with our children, that they come to a place where they have to make decisions. And when they're young, they're following their parents' God. But when they come to a place of adulthood, they have to choose to serve and make our God their God. And the world's competing for their affections. And the world has all kinds of things to worship other than the Lord. And they're very attractive, especially when you're young. You know, and I, I was coming into church early this morning, kid pulled up in this ridiculous BMW, and he's got his hat on backwards, and he's just... just he was just oozing punk and he's revving this thing and he's, you know, screeching to get to the next stoplight. And I'm like pulling up into my Honda. Hey, and I'm thinking you didn't buy that. Your parents bought it for you. You got an attitude. You're I'm, I'm feeling it. And I'm going to preach about you this morning. <laughs> We do our best when our children are young and they're compliant and they operate in that context. And then they come to a place where they start to have to make adult decisions. And, and you want to start to engage them in the world and you want to, and if you overprotect them, they rebel and they move away from it. If you underprotect them, they get absorbed. There's this delicate balance. And, and we're praying for wisdom continually on how to do it. And we've succeeded and we failed. And where do we go? And this woman did her best. And now her daughter is not just demon possessed. She's severely demon-possessed, like crawling on the ceiling, head spinning, green vomit, kind of, get away from me, that kind of severely demon-possessed. Something's taken a hold of her, and I've seen it, I've seen it, uh, you know, 16 years as senior pastor here, over 20 years of ministry, I've witnessed, you, you, you don't think that exists, and you think it's a psychotic delusion, uh, I have news for you, I've been to psych wards visiting, and, and I've... I've <laughs> And I have seen evil face to face and it, it exists. And I traveling third world extensively, I have seen stuff that would freak you out. And when they say severely demon possessed, I, this is a social pathology. I can put a name and a face to that in my, my memory. I've seen it. It's like, get me out of here. Creepy stuff. Like your wristwatch is spinning while you're praying. Creepy. Okay. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> And I wasn't smoking at the time. So, so this, this, this idea of severely demon-possessed, she's inundated in a culture. And I would just say to the parents who can relate in this regard, having raised five kids, each of them gets to a place where they have to make those decisions. And, and I've had struggles with each of them in their own different ways. And, and we're still waiting for Michael to get to that place. Currently, right now, on the radar is my son, Daniel. He's, he's at that stage where he's... And you got to contend with them. Um, prior to, to Daniel, it was Natasha. And, and you know, you, I remember Natasha, just sweetest, compliant, tenderest child, you know, would do anything asked. And somewhere in there, just the world took a hold. And I just watched as before my very eyes, where did my little girl go? And, and she would say things that were just awful. And they did so cruel. It's so out of her character. And I'd look and I'd go, who are you? Where's Natasha gone? I mean, I was just waiting for her to go, get out of my room. <laughs> you know, it was, it was like that. And, and, and she went dark. I mean, it was like. And Michelle and I would intercede in prayer. We didn't know where she was. We'd be praying. And I see that with Daniel. You know, Daniel, God is my judge. He's always been 
self-governing. He'd go before the Lord. He'd come out and apologize for something we didn't even know he'd done. Amazing kid. And now he's 18, you know, and he's getting ready to go away to school and he's got plans. And, and I'm, there are days where I'm like, where'd Daniel go? And you guys are dealing with that. Where'd your sweet little child go? And, and you're like, who is this? Who abducted my child and brought you here? Because you're not who I have known. And they start taking on these things that do not matter in our home. And and they start becoming enamored with things that will destroy them. And and, and I'll tell you what, you want to learn the power of prayer? Get a teenager. It puts you on your knees and you, you, you know, you're, we're praying nonstop. And, and I, Dr. Dobson talked about, you know, adolescence is like when the, when the capsule would be reentering the earth's atmosphere and, and, and right at that critical point where it had to come into the right trajectory. So that the, the sheet, uh, the heat shield would, the heat shield would hold up. They would lose contact with the capsule, Houston, Houston, and then and the most critical part of the mission, dead silent. And it wasn't until they punched through and they go, you know, Houston, this is Apollo. <sighs> and, the, and the whole country would be praying. And then they'd break through. Apollo 13, just whole nation's praying. And then we're, ah. And that's adolescence. You just lose them. It goes silent. How was your day? Good. <laughs> what have you been doing? Nothing. That's your favorite with Nothing. Good, nothing, good, nothing. Don't say it again. Don't, don't even, don't say it again. And, and you lose contact with them, and all of a sudden, they punch through the other side. And like, Mom, Dad, hey, you're back. <laughs> Just, the horns have disappeared. Bless you, my child. We're, we're blessed to have a church and, and we have Sunday school and we've got a neat community and, and we're not inundated like this woman in Tyre and Sidon. Imagine being in the midst of the 1040 window and trying to get your children to worship the Lord in this demon possession and the intensity of it. And she comes to the Lord and she cries out and she invokes, she's done her homework, she invokes the title of Messiah, Savior. She says, Son of David, going all the way back to the, to the declaration of the lineage that the Messiah would come through the line of David. Hiram had acknowledged it. She knew about it and she is invoking this and she said, only God can overcome this demonic oppression that seeks to destroy mankind. Lord, help me. That's worship. Now, I have to tell you something. You can come to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. And you can come with an agenda. Lord, help me get a Ferrari and add that on the end. Lord, help me, you know, overcome my finances, even though I don't want to reduce my spending. Lord, help me. You know, we, we can do all that. And God just, just silent. But this idea of being completely broken, being, being completely genuine, completely sincere and interceding, especially on behalf of someone else saying, Lord, help me. This is worship. And Matthew points that out. This is clear worship. You come to church with an agenda, you hear the music and you're judging the quality of the music, the style of the music, you're judging people's outfits, you're judging, you know, and, and you're not, your heart is so far from the Lord and you're like, I don't, I don't ever get the feeling of worship. And it's not the music, it's, you, can, you can take a nose harp and a washboard and people could be just worshiping. It's the condition of the heart. The genuine, sincere, broken, Lord help me. The music is nice because the, the melody and the harmony and the notes touch our heart and coincide with that and aligns us with the Lord. But you have to do that preparation before you come. And you're wanting them to bring you to that place. And then we have a responsibility. And she is already there. And she cries out and she says, Lord, help me. The scripture says he answered her not a word. He just almost ignores her. And reading sweet Jesus and this idea that he ignores her just is baffling to me. He just doesn't even speak to her. But I, I personally, as I've studied this text... I don't think he's ignoring her as much as he's preparing to minister to the disciples. He already knows that she is ready and, and, and ripe and, and she is fruit that has fallen off the tree. She is so there. He knows that the worship is sincere and he's not speaking to her, not to ignore her, but to equip the disciples because the disciples especially Matthew who's writing this account and Mark who's affiliated with Peter writing his account these are Jews. Jews despise Canaanites. They despise anyone, what they would call a pagan. 
When a Canaanite would be walking in their direction and the sun would be shining and the shadow would be cast on the road, the Jew would step out of the way of the Canaanite shadow. The Samaritan shadow, half-breeds, they would just step out of the way. I don't want anything to do with you, you pagan, idolatry-worshipping trash. And they had a really special term for Canaanites and Samaritans. They called them dogs. Dogs. And let's just scan the room. And present in the room, whether you like it or not, is a prejudice. Ah, We don't like that. Watch it, Pastor. And we got them. I want to talk to law enforcement. You got a prejudice. Yours is ingrained. You sit at the back of the restaurant with your facing the door, and you are prepared for the knucklehead to come through that door, and you're going to take them out if they try to do anything. Because you have been ingrained with the worst of society, and you're prepared, and you hold that line of defense. And everyone is suspect. Because you you are required to make instant decisions in critical moments and you have to assess you've got to categorize and i get that and our officers are good at that as a minister i'm the same way i i can listen to you and immediately assess your situation quickly and put you in a box and all of us have that We have preconceived notions. And in the midst of all of that, especially at 52 years of age, over 20 years of ministry, God takes a passage like this to break me. Because the people who I've judged and come to a conclusion on, oftentimes I am very wrong. Very wrong. And oftentimes I've seen too that people are wrong about their assessment of me. And and in this case, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And he plays on their prejudice. He doesn't even speak to the woman. And they're like, yeah, that's right. We came here to rest. We don't need your dog feet in our area. Why don't you take your severely demon-possessed daughter and go back to your temple and worship your Baal and get out of our area? Because this is this. we're with the man and we're on vacation. And we don't need you here bugging us. So Jesus doesn't answer them, and that kind of builds on their... That's right. And then his disciples come to Jesus, and they urge him with the, the title of their new ministry, Send Them Away Ministries. <laughs> the, the disciples came to Jesus and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. I can imagine Jesus going, I'm sorry, are you the son of David? That's what she's saying. They're not, he's not crying out after you. She's crying out after me. And they're, and they're like, yeah, send her away. She's annoying. And obviously, she, you're not answering her. Why do we have to contend? Just send her away. She cries out after us. And, uh, and in the midst of this, um, Jesus answered and speaks to the disciples, not to her. It's like she's not even there in this dialogue with the disciples, Jesus answered and said to the disciples, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You can imagine the disciples going, that's right. Us, Jews, bing. Not you, woof, woof. Ah, woof, woof. Ah. America. God kissed this land. He did. I'm proud to be an American. Amen? I'm I'm proud to be an American. I want to save America. I'm not traveling to Tyre and Sidon. That's 1040 window. Let them kill each other. Woof. Preconceived. Not that part of my world. Jesus takes the opportunity, as he said, I wasn't sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshiped him with those three words, Lord, help me. Absolutely broken, absolutely sincere, absolutely genuine. And they're like, hmm, stop already. 
And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread, as he points to the disciples, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs, as he points to this humbled, humiliated human being on her face, Lord, help me. He's playing the disciples. They're like, yeah, children's bread and little dog. Man, she's broken. And they were the children. And they're like, well, we don't even worship that way. You know, we just read 15 chapters of Matthew. Jesus gave, offered everything to the Israelites and they believed nothing. He offers her nothing and she believes everything. She's worshiping. They're indignant. She's worshiping. They're indignant. We're on vacation. We're tired of her whining. I want to speak to you. Especially the elders and the pastors, the leaders. We have an uncanny ability to keep people from Jesus when we're in the flesh. I remember one pastor told me, you will never make it in the ministry. You don't love people. You're worthless. You're wasting your time. He couldn't keep me from Jesus. I think some of the things that have left my mouth that have hindered people when they're coming at their greatest need. And I I would just say, they're tired of her, but Jesus isn't. I may be tired, but Jesus isn't. I can promise you that I will, the pastors will, the elders will, not only in this church, but every church around the world, we will fail you. We will get in the way of you wanting to come to Jesus. We have unbelievable giftings in that capacity. There are, there are more people who used to go to this church than go to the church. Now they found other churches or they've moved on. There are some that are just, they're upset. I've hurt them or somebody else has hurt them. Oftentimes when we bring the elders in front of you, we want you to tell us if you know anything about them. And at, at, in the history of the church, I remember one in particular, a person said, I love this church, but I, I can't be here with that elder. I go, why? Well, they hurt me and, and I haven't been reconciled. I said, let's reconcile. And they did and that healed it. People get in the way of others coming to Christ. And there will be a time, especially if I hurt you, you'll be sitting there and everything I say, you're going to be picking apart critically. Don't endure that unless you can press through to Jesus. Find another place. And I understand that. It's taken me a while. I'm a little thick-headed. But people don't leave because they hate me. They just want to reach Jesus and I'm in the way. I get it. Everybody gets in the way at one point or another, because you all have feet of clay. But here's the catch. You can either use me, any pastor on staff, or the elders around the world as an excuse, or you can worship the Lord by saying, Lord, help me. You can make an excuse to continue on your pathetic, miserable, imploding life while your family is destroyed, or you can say, Lord, help me, bypass us, and whatever pain we've caused you, and press into Jesus. For those that I've run into in the community in 16 years that have used me or anyone in this church as an excuse to walk away from the church, I have seen the fruit, or I should say the absence, as their families have imploded. I take responsibility for however I've pained you. In a lot of cases, I don't even know I've done it. But if you're using me as an excuse not to go to church or press into Jesus, it doesn't work. It may be tough in this community, but it's not tire and siding. He's speaking to the disciples to get out of the way, and he's speaking to this woman to persevere. Because he knows that if this woman is going to survive in that pagan riddled world, she has to understand that I have to be broken and genuine and sincere in my worship because she's going to be inundated. You think it's tough here? Step into that world. He says it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. The disciples are like, man, that's harsh. I mean, she is a Gentile dog, but she's worshiping. And he doesn't use the term for outside, you know, wild, crazed, you know, vicious dog. He uses the diminutive term, which is for a house dog. We got Dutch, our our new puppy. He's six months old, over 100 pounds. 
He's a great Dane, and he's, he's going to be even bigger. He's going to grow for another year. I, I don't know what we're going to do. He goes, through a, he goes through an entire 40-pound bag of dog food in a week. We went to a house last night for dinner, and they had these little tiny dogs that looked like mops. And I, and I looked at these dogs, and I think, we pick up every morning something that big that my dog leaves. This is a meal for my dog. And we feed him three times a day, so can I have your mops? You know? And, and he's, he's so big that he can rest his chin on the table while we're eating. Hey, what are we doing? I, uh, can you pass that? I don't have opposable thumbs, but if you could just serve a little of it, I'd be more than happy to have a bite of that. He's hilarious, and he's a big luck. You know, just you love him, and you wrestle with him, and he, he's, he thinks he's a lap dog, and he crushes your chest when he wants to get in the bed with you. He's, he's family, and you know what's so cool about him? It's like our other dog, Buddy. I come through the door, doesn't matter what kind of a day I've had. I walk through, and they're the first to greet me. They're like, you're home. You are home. I have been waiting all day to see you. And I just want to greet you with a smile and tell you that you are, you've made me so happy. And could you get me some of that stuff that I, the same stuff I eat every day, the really cheap stuff that you buy at Costco? Could you get me? Because I love that. I'm so excited when you pour that for me. And that water that has no flavor, just that all, I just want that and that and I'm good. And I'm so happy to see you. And when you yell at me, I love you. And I'll do whatever you say. And I'll do little tricks for you, too. And you contrast that, those puppies, those, you know, cunarion. You contrast, and that's the word in the Greek, cunarion, house pet. You, you, you contrast that with your children. You come home, they're like, whoa, yes, they're home. Can you get the, no, I'm busy. I don't want any of you. I want more of them. And in the teenage years, you're like, I can't wait for them to leave and get more puppies. They don't talk back. They, they don't go through their demonic oppression. You know, they're just epic. I want more puppies. Little children are fine, but they grow up to teenagers and horns, and they're awful. And they talk back, and they get sassy, and they're like, Bark! But the puppy greets you every time you come through the door. We love our dogs. In our culture, we're, we're now at a place where we love the dogs more. We have little pet hotels. We'll pay to send our puppies to a hotel. We'll drag our children with us. She's a cunarion. And I, I, would, I would title this message today, Maybe You Know Me, My Name is Cunarion. And the reason why I title that message, Maybe You Know Me, My Name is Cunarion, is because her response when Jesus says, it's not good to take the children's bread, throw it to the little dogs. She takes that word canary on. And the Bible says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Canary on left the Lord's mouth and she grabbed it. And what's fascinating is she's sandwiched in between two stories, one we've read and one we'll read probably next week, of the feeding of thousands with loaves and baskets of crumbs left over. She's sandwiched between Jesus, who is the bread of life, feeding thousands, and here she is, and she's saying, she takes the word of God, and she holds on to it. You, it left your mouth, Lord. You said canarion, and the first thing she says is yes, which is translated in the Greek, true. True, Lord. She basically says truth, Lord. But even the canarion, and she takes that word, she holds it, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Even the canary on eat. I don't want the children's bread. But if I can be a canary on in your house, I will be blessed. If you can be the master of the house, I am content to be blessed to be the canary on at your table. I'd love to be Dutch or Buddy in your home. Because you're the master. At that moment, Jesus answers and turns to her and says, Oh, woman. And it's an endearing term, beloved woman. Great is your faith. He never said that to the disciples. They're like, whoa. They're getting a lesson. You thought the lesson was for her. 
She was being used with the Lord to teach them. Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. She came home and she's walking through after, I mean, how exhausted do you have to be to have a severely demon-possessed daughter? You want to talk about contending with a teenager? One that's on the ceiling. And she walks in the house and the daughter she's always known is back. You know, I, I, uh, not yesterday, the day before, I think it was, my daughter Natasha had wisdom teeth coming in, swollen. We had to do emergency thing uh, Friday. Couldn't do it Monday because she, she was going to be out of town. And they said, bring her right now. And it was later in the afternoon. M- Michelle's getting ready. We're getting her over to the oral surgeon. And there's a, the door ring, doorbell ring, ding dong, knock on the door. And we couldn't have been busier. And I'm trying to calculate it all, open it up. And it's two teen challenge girls. And Natasha goes, dad, it's the teen challenge girls. I'm like, now? <laughs> and and, and I, I, I go... And I was thinking in my mind, a teen challenge, you, you see the before and after pictures when they were in prostitution or they were drug use and they look like death warmed over. And then over here, you just see they're just filled with life, right? And, I, and I've seen the transformation of my daughter from just dark to, to life. And, and I come to the door and the two teen challenge girls, one is the girl, do you remember? She had the tats on her neck and I brought her forward and I said, I have a gift for you. And I introduced her to Natasha and I had Natasha come up. Do you remember that girl? She was at our door. And this other lady was with her, and they both said, Pastor Rob, you, you, you blessed me, and you brought me up, and this is the first house we came to, and it's yours, and God is so good, it's just crazy, and they're like thrilled. And the older woman's going, I'm finished here in 15 days, and I'm going to Linwood. I, I went through the processing center in Bakersfield, but I'm going to be in Linwood where your daughter was. I'm like, you're excited about that. That's Compton. And she's like, I'm going into the darkness, I'm going to bring, this God is so good, and they're thrilled, and I'm like blown away. And I'm looking at my daughter who's in my home and she's filled with life and she's part of our family. And I'm just seeing what God has done. And this is the woman comes home and there's her daughter in her right mind. She's back. And the Lord did that. He spoke life into that home from a woman who was broken and genuine and sincere. And he used her to teach them. And I got news for you. You're sitting in the room And you can have every excuse why the church is responsible for your misery. And you're right to an extent. The church may be tired of whining at times, but Jesus is never tired. And he'll be found by the genuine, broken, sincere heart. If you're ready to yield your life and give it all to him, he'll heal it. You got two options, play the blame game or press into Jesus. Play the blame game or press into Jesus. Play the blame game or press into Jesus. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Are you broken? Are you genuine? Are you sincere? Lord, help me. He will. You're going to go home. What in the world? Great is your faith. Yielded, sincere, profound. Don't let Jesus' disciples keep you from Jesus. We learned that from the woman. And I was thinking about this. Breadcrumbs falling from a table. And we looked at those maps. Concentration of bread. And in that 1040 window, she's getting crumbs. There's no Christian radio stations. There's no Christian bookstores. There's no seminaries. There's no churches that are probably haven't been bombed yet. She got crumbs, but she knows Jesus. He traveled 50 miles to meet me. He came here just for me. He met me. He equipped me. He blessed me. He healed my daughter. He healed me. Nowhere did she say, I haven't slept. I'm tired. You don't understand what she's... She didn't... She wasn't whining. It wasn't about her. It was about her daughter. She was broken and sincere and humble. And I'll leave you with this. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 21 and we'll conclude with this.
Acts chapter 21. The author of the book of Acts is a guy by the name of Luke. Luke wrote the gospel according to Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. He's the most prolific author in the New Testament. Luke um, is, is writing of all this as a physician. He's traveled with John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark. Peter's traveling. Peter has given his account to Mark. Mark has written about this. Peter was there when they were at this woman's house, or this house that the woman came to, excuse me. Peter was there. John was there. The disciples were there. Peter witnessed it. Mark wrote it. Fascinating thing about Mark is he's part of the missionary team. He traveled with Barnabas. He traveled with Paul. And as Jesus was crucified and resurrected, and then the work came to the church to spread the gospel, the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles or Acts of the Holy Spirit, and they travel throughout the known world to preach the gospel. And in this portion of Acts 21, pick up with me at verse 3. Luke writes, when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo and finding what? Oh, stop for a minute. They got to Tyre. Nobody had ever been to Tyre before. They get to Tyre and what do they find? Disciples. They're like, what? What? Disciples? Worshiping the Lord? Entire? We stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And when he had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. Fascinating. And finding disciples. Well, what about these disciples? It says they all accompanied us with wives and children. And I imagine there's Peter. And the woman comes up and says, maybe you know me. My name is Canarion. You remember my daughter? You never had a chance to meet her, but look at her. These are my other kids. And look what God's done in our city. Do you remember that day when you traveled 50 miles just to meet me and you tried to hide, but God wouldn't let it be so? Remember when you tried to keep me from the Lord, but it wasn't about me, it was about you? Do you see what God's done? Maybe you remember me. My name is Canarion, the little dog. Peter, Jewish Peter, do you, do, you, do you remember me, the Canaanite, the Syrophoenician woman with the demon, severely demon-possessed daughter? Can we pray for you? Can we bless you? You know, they got to Tyre and they found disciples. And you know why they found disciples? Because this woman wouldn't let Jesus' disciples keep her from Jesus. No excuses. She worshiped. She pressed through. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Look, there's no perfect church. And if you find one, don't go there. Because you will screw it up. We're all men and women with feet of clay. We're going to get in the way. But that's not an excuse to abandon your worship of God. Say it with me. Three words, Lord, help me. One, two, three. Lord, help me. I don't care what the issue is. Let's do it again. Kids? Relationships? 
Finances? Substance issues? It works every single time. But it requires brokenness and humility and sincerity. And God will bless you beyond measure. Even in a frail church with men and women with feet of clay, he presses through and he'll go the 50 miles to meet you where you are. And he will heal your family if your heart is steadfast before him to say, Lord, help me. I promise you. And, and I can't even get in the way of that. That is a gift to you from the Lord. May you use it and be blessed by it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. And God, we come this day to worship you, assisted by music. Yes, we agree, but more importantly, Lord, because of the preparation of our heart. We can come up with every excuse and every reason why we would reject so great a salvation. But today, Lord, we're without excuse. We have been given those three words that we can worship you with three words. Lord, help me. No matter what the situation, I mean, we add severely to it and we can see this woman's life and she got it. And so, Lord, she was used by you to make disciples entire in the middle of a land that had just crumbs for the bread of life. And she made the most of it. And her family was blessed and healed. We can blame others or we can worship the Lord. And today we choose to worship the Lord. So God help us. And as folks come forward this morning for prayer, give wisdom, encouragement, and blessing as they come to just share so that we can intercede and pray and go before you and together say, Lord, help us. I pray that you would move in our hearts to just create a, an atmosphere of prayer and prayer is just simply crying out to God. And Lord, let this time of worship that would now have the privilege of harmony and musical notes, Lord, let it touch our heart that has already been yielded to worship you. So Lord, thank you. Bless this time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.